Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. What the truth? You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here are your hosts, Rob Dalrymple and Vinny Angelo. Hey everyone, we are, uh, we've hit the end of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so we're, uh, we're, we're going to do 1 Corinthians 16 tonight, which is the closing chapter. And this will be good too, because we've talked a little bit about how to read letters and structure of letters. And so it'd be good to talk about that because oftentimes we just blow through the ending because it's the, Hey, say, Hey to this guy. And there, there's some good stuff in here as well. Um, but what is a, do you want to talk now about what our plan is going forward or uh, do we want to close up with that? Or how do we want to do that? Um, yeah, let's close up with that. Okay. Yeah, let's just so you, get into first Corinthians 16 and then we'll finish up with that. So you can even just we'll chalk save that it for the end. You have to stay tuned for the end when yeah. end things happen. So, Let's get into uh, yeah. this. I don't know how much of the text you want to go through or uh, how yeah. we want to do this because we don't really have any kind of outline for tonight. So let's no. let's see how this goes. We're going to let the spirit yeah. guide us. We've there been so Pentecostal and charismatic in this one. Uh, let's do 16 verses one and two to get started with. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no uh, collecting when I come. So that's verses one and two. Yeah, very good. Right, you know what? Let's let's do verses three also. It's three and four. Yeah, yeah, it fits. Yep. Yeah, and and when I arrive, I will send those to whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. All right, very good. So, First Corinthians is one of the early letters of Paul, and he's on his third missionary journey. He's in Ephesus likely in Ephesus, spent more time in Ephesus than he wanted. That's a little bit of the issue that we didn't get into detail on, but kind of the problems that was Paul was having was, hey, you're not a man of your word. You said you were going to do this with his travel itinerary, and then he didn't do it. And he explains why he doesn't do it. And that becomes actually a big issue in Second Corinthians also. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that he's doing on this third journey, he's going back and revisiting the churches that he did on his second journey and kind of spending a little bit more time with them. His plan was, now Ephesus is on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. So the east coast of the Aegean Sea. So think of the Aegean Sea, and then you go up north, and you come cross over the, the Bosphorus Straits, and you get into Macedonia. And then you have Philippi and Thessalonica, and then you go down to the west and south to the southern part of Greece. And then mm-hmm. that's where Corinth is located. The plan was to revisit all those churches, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, and all the way down to Corinth, and then maybe go back to them, and head to Jerusalem. And he's going to Jerusalem. When he gets to Corinth, by the way, he writes the book of Romans. And then in in the book of Romans, he says, hey, my plan is to come to Rome on my way and move to Spain. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm going to Spain, but I'm going to stop by and visit visit you guys. But before that, he's going to go to Jerusalem. And he says this in the book of Romans also. And in Jerusalem, they had been suffering from a famine. And we know of a famine that happened during the reign of Claudius a number of years earlier. The church in Jerusalem had been persecuted from the get-go. So they were having trouble, obviously, financially. Remember, they were uh, living as a community in many ways and selling their goods in Acts chapter 2, 3, and 4 because they were struggling financially there. And so now a a famine is going to, those who are struggling already are going to be impacted even more than everybody else in a famine. So the church apparently was struggling greatly. And so Paul's answer is, look, we owe it. We owe it to the church in Jerusalem. The gospel came from the church in Jerusalem. Christ came from Jerusalem. You know, this is where we go. And this is where we came from, and we owe it to them to, to, to provide for some of their needs and to share. So here's what I want you to do. 
And that is, I want you to put aside a little bit of money every week on the first day of the week. Now, remember, the first day of the week is Sunday. This raises one of those questions, and that is, when were the Christians meeting? And it appears, we, the New Testament is silent on, for the most part, there's two passages. Were the Christians meeting on Sunday? Had, they, mm -hmm. had the Sabbath day changed to Sunday already? I say yes, and I think a good number of leading scholars would say yes and would, would agree, or I'm in agreement with them. There's two places, Acts 20, verse 7, where it says on the first day of the week, mm -hmm. and then here, where it says set aside some money on the first day of the week. And the only reason why you would set aside money on the first day of the week is that's when they were gathering. It assumes a collection of a communal gathering, which it just has to be what we would call church. Again, you have this relative silence. I think the silence as to why has the Sabbath been changed to Sunday or not is because it was just universally practiced. Again, we, we discussed this when we talked about the creeds, and that is topics don't come up unless somebody objects to it. If, if everyone's doing it, I don't, Paul doesn't have to write a letter and say, by the way, we meet on Sundays, you know, because everybody met on Sundays, you know. So I, I think that explains we, the silence and why we have these two references to. Uh, well, can we talk about this Sunday. just a little bit? We don't have, we're not going to go fully okay. into it. Okay. I know. Sorry. <sighs> Whatever, uh, Vinny. <laughs> when we say the Sabbath. Yeah. There is a technical meaning to that in terms of it means seventh, right? And so there's a technical aspect of where it literally, like there's a literal meaning to this, and that literally means Saturday. Well, yeah, based on the on the biblical calendar or Jewish. Yeah, in a Jewish calendar. worldview. So yeah. the Sabbath itself doesn't change in that Saturday is always Saturday. And and that's the traditional day in which Jews would gather and and for their religious observance. Right. So the question is, when you say, does the Sabbath change, what you're saying is, has more to do with when are the people of God gathering yes. together? Correct. For corporate yeah. worship. Yeah. So yeah. in a sense, can the Sabbath actually change? Because when yes. we're talking about remembering the Sabbath, especially under Mosaic law, and, and this is going to be one of the top, is it the second or third commandment of remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? I forget which one right. it is. Uh, yeah. yeah. Is this something that's command? Fourth. It depends. You know, it's actually really strange. There's there's a divide amongst Protestants and Catholics and Jews in terms of how you divide up the Ten Commandments. It's really strange. So anyway, that's a whole uh, thing. I, yeah, that's I, I had to study that a couple we, years ago. Really? We're divided over something? It, right? Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> yeah. one. Exactly. Right. But is this something that we should understand gathering together, which, you know, even in the book of Hebrews, you know, it's like, no, don't neglect the, the saint, gathering, you know, yeah. yeah, the gathering of saints. Remembering the Sabbath in a Christian context, in a new covenant context, is not it's not the same as the old covenant Torah, right? Well, that's the question, right? So it depends on what you mean by the same. Do you mm -hmm. mean by the same that doing the things on the Sabbath day that Jews did? And and I say, well, no, of course not, because obviously we're worshiping Christ and we're singing mm -hmm. Psalms to Christ as if he's a, if it, as if he's Lord. We're doing communion, which didn't happen in the Jewish practices at all. But if you mean it as the way I'm meaning it, that is honoring the Sabbath day of the, the day of rest. Mm -hmm. And because it's a day of rest, that's the day we gather for worship with no work, but we gather for worship. Mm -hmm. Understanding Sabbath in that context, then yes, it does. Ch it changes because mm -hmm. the day of in which we rest and remember the and remember the Lord and honor the Sabbath day and gather together for corporate worship became Sunday. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know if we've discussed that. I think we did when we discussed communion in our first Corinthians 11 discussion, the church 
change the Sabbath day, and the way I'm using the word, or the, the phrase Sabbath day, to Sunday to honor the resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. When Jesus gave communion, Luke 22, wherever other passages throughout the Gospels, and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, do this in remembrance of me. So the question is, when are we going to do this? Well, mm-hmm. obviously, when we gather together. Mm-hmm. Well, you could do this on Friday, the day he was crucified, but that doesn't make sense because the crucifixion is meaningless without the resurrection. The resurrection makes the most sense, and that's Sunday. And that's what we said, I think, last week, right? Every Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday is the day of the resurrection. That's that's why we celebrate on Sundays, because we're honoring the resurrection. So I think in that sense, yeah, I think it, the Sabbath day can change because Christ does change it. Yeah. So then with that, uh, you had mentioned how this passage in then Acts 20 has references to um, uh, the, this, first day of the, week. Yeah, the first day of the week. When we read in, it'll be interesting. I don't know if you address it in your commentary in Revelation. In Revelation 1, when John was caught up on the Lord's Day, yes. are you viewing that as, would, would, you, would you say that is Sunday, the next Sabbath Sunday. as well? Yeah, okay. I think, I, yeah, I think Revelation chapter 1, uh, John was uh, in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I think the Lord's Day. And, and But the Lord's Day became, in the Christian usage, a technical term for Sunday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's another indication that the Lord's Day is Sunday. Again, you can't prove you know, like a Seventh-day Adventist who say, no, mm-hmm. we have to keep it on Saturday. Right. I understand why you're saying that. But yeah. There's another thing that's interesting also in our, our interview with Warren Carter. I think we did uh, Warren Carter with the Gospel of John, I think it was, or maybe finishing up Luke and talking a little bit about John. And uh, he made a comment, and then I followed up with him later, and I sent him an email. I said, hey, you made this comment. Does that mean this? He's like, exactly. I'm like, you know, I never thought of that. And, and the conversation was this, that Warren and I had offline. Jesus in Mark chapter 2, yeah, Mark 2, uh, is walking through the grain field, and mm-hmm. the disciples are plucking heads of grain, but it's a Sabbath day. Yeah. Now, plucking heads of grain is considered harvesting, and that's vi- a violation of the Sabbath law based on the Pharisaical interpretation. And again, don't get hung up on the Pharisees because the Pharisees were trying to help the people mm-hmm. understand the law and how it applied in the modern world. Because remember, the law goes back 500, 1,000 or more years before mm-hmm. the time of Jesus. So it's an yeah. ancient text for them too. So when it says thou shalt not work, what does that mean? So they thought it was their responsibility to make sure you don't break the Sabbath by us telling you what it means to work and what not work is. So Harvesting crops was work. And so pulling heads of grain, just running your fingers was considered work. Well, Jesus then goes off and says, hey, guys, what are you talking about? You know, David goes into the tabernacle and he ate the bread that was only for the priests and he was hungry and it's not their bread, but he did. Well, the conversation I had with Warren was he was saying what Jesus was upset with was the fact that the poor throughout the Roman world, we've discussed this before, the poor throughout the Roman world, 90% of them were hand to mouth. They were daily subsistence. Mm -hmm. If they don't work seven days a week, they don't eat that day they don't work. Mm -hmm. And Jesus's answer was, you know, your rules on the Sabbath are meaning these people starve for the day. And I thought that was, whoa, that's really interesting that Mm -hmm. the Sabbath was meant for justice and to do what's right and to bring equity. Thou shalt not murder was applied to the kings because like, David commits adultery and then has Uriah killed. Mm-hmm. Well, he's the king. What's going to happen? Well, there's a law, by the way, that we all abide by. And that says thou shalt not murder. Whereas if a commoner murdered, murdered someone exp- someone wealthy or whatever, then that wealthy person would take him to court and put him in prison and he, he'd be dealt with. You need laws to protect the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. 
against those, you know, like Naboth's vi uh, vineyard in First Kings twenty-one, where the, where Ahab takes the, the man's vi vineyard and has him has him killed. That's what the laws were for. They were meant for this for justice. And so the conversation with Warren was, "Hey, Jesus was actually angry because your Sabbath rules of thou shalt not work meant that these people can't eat for a day." And I thought, mm -hmm. "Oh, that's actually really an interesting um, way way of thinking." And I thought, mm -hmm. "Yeah, it makes a lot of sense." So, so I think that's what's happening. It's, they're gathering together on Sunday for and saying, "Hey, put some money aside." And it just makes it's just good practical sense by the way right to set a little bit aside every week instead of waiting till paul comes like oh no i gotta come up with all, all this money that i don't have and again i think it's probably the middle wealthier people maybe even the ones that were causing the trouble in this in corinth uh, that were going to give the, the money and the money was going to be sent to the city of jerusalem and the church in jerusalem so with this we should also differentiate it from a, a, a modern application he's asking them not for part of their regular offering, whatever that might look like in that context, which that's going to be kind of part B of my question. Mm. But this is something that's special that's happening. And in the same way in, in the book of Romans, when Paul writes, it's like you mentioned, hey, I'm going to be going to, to Spain and I want to come see you, but will you help fund my missions trip basically? And mm -hmm. it's because they need a lot of time to plan that out. You can't just write a check or Vemno or do a QR code. Like money isn't liquid and, right. and most people are hand to mouth, like you said. So it takes a while to, to save this stuff up. So this is like, you know, in our modern context, what we would call like a special type of offering. Right. Uh, whereas like in my church, we might do these things where we had a, an options for women thing a couple of weeks ago where it's like, Hey, you know, above and beyond of what you normally give, would you be willing to help mm -hmm. out this agency that helps women who have decided to not have an abortion and want to, you know, live a fruitful life with their kid. Um, and so that's something that we give on outside mm -hmm. of that. This is that sort of thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know, right? Because we don't know what the standardized giving protocol was mm -hmm. in the first century. Remember, they don't have buildings, so they don't have maintenance expenses, things of that nature. Most yeah. of the preachers and pastors were working also. So there's not a lot of, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, there's not a lot for that. So it, I think most of the money that was being raised was money being raised for the widows and the orphans and mm -hmm. the people in, in need. So, uh, and, and We'll discuss uh, giving in Second Corinthians because this is the main place that it comes up. Second Corinthians eight and nine, uh -huh. and and what does all that mean? I think we have to be careful about the law of ten percent being universally applied. And I think that was going to be my that, next question. Yeah, yeah, you and I. I think we may have said this before, but I've said this from the pulpit, and that is, if you make you know thirty thousand dollars a year, you should not be tithing ten percent. Mm -hmm. You're barely above the poverty line. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think you have $3,000 to give to the church. Mm -hmm. However, if you happen to be making $300,000, you should probably be giving more than 10% because yes. 30,000 yeah. bucks out of your pocket is probably not a whole lot. Yeah. And I know you have an expensive house and you have expenses, <laughs> but the reality is if you're making 600,000, whatever, you can afford a significant yeah. chunk of that yeah. to be given as, as you know, it, it, it's a gift and it's, and it's, supposed to cost us uh, ultimately at, at some point in time. And I think we just need to, to be aware of that. And I think most Christians, the bar is 10% mm -hmm. and that's easy for the rich, whether they do it or not is easy. Yeah. Uh, it's easier. And for the poor, it's oppressive. And I think we need to change that message. Yeah. So, and just with that, we will spend more time on that second Corinthians. Yeah. The idea of tithes, which is, that's definitely an Old Testament concept. Tithe means 10th. That's where you get the idea. And so that's one of those questions too. Is the tithe, uh, is that something that's 
what we maybe call binding or an expected New Testament ethic that the, the people of God today are expected to do. Yeah, let's save that. Yeah, let's save that for First Corinthians. Uh, mm-hmm. or for, I'm sorry, for Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians eight and nine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Let me add one thing at this point in time. Now, kind of segue with Jesus and the and the poor and and them not being able to eat. The problem that Jesus was having was Rome had come upon them and gave heavy, heavy taxation. Mm-hmm. And whenever there's a famine, and all of a sudden now there's less grain, and everything else. Well, the Roman taxes didn't change. Mm-hmm. So now you're taking from your food to pay the taxes. And you can't afford to do it. So what you have to do is now borrow. And the Roman leaders and Roman individuals and the wealthy members of, of there, right? Remember, the, the rich young ruler owned much land, it says. We discussed this with, in our Luke study. Well, how does he own much land? Well, because he confiscated it from people who couldn't afford to pay the taxes. And of course, the Old Testament law was you have to give the land back at the year of Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And you only, you only pay for however many crops there are until the year of Jubilee. Well, that's not what they were doing. They were, you're paying for your taxes, so they confiscate the land. Well, now I am an, an employee on the land, which means I don't get the full share of the crop because it's your land. So, so my pay just went down because I don't make a full, full share, but I still have to pay the same amount of taxes. Oh, and guess what? That's empire-wide. In Jerusalem or in amongst the people of Israel, they also had to pay for the temple tax to keep the temple in operation. Because remember, the Levites you know, not necessarily don't work. And they live off the temple tax. And of course, the temple was, it was, a, it was expensive to operate. You know, you got to clean it and, and animals and everything else. And so now I'm having trouble just paying Roman taxes and I'm being taxed by you. And that's why Jesus was so upset with the widow uh, who only had four small copper coins and put two of them in the coffer. And Jesus is like, look, she can't even buy a loaf of bread with those four coins and you're making her give two of them. Stop mm-hmm. it. You're devouring mm-hmm. widows' houses. And I think that just speaks to this. I, I, it's not this straight 10% across the board. Everybody pays 10% regardless of what you make. That's, that's not what's happening there throughout the New Testament at all. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Okay. Uh, which, Sorry, uh, I get a little carried away with no, passion on that one. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the rest of the letter basically is Paul kind of giving some details about his travel plans and hey, I'm, I might spend the winter here. I might do this. I might do that. Uh, I'll remain in Ephesus, verse eight, until Pentecost. And so, uh, and then there's some greetings, and Timothy's going to come, and very common greetings, very common mm-hmm. uh, way of closing out a letter, talking about his itinerary, talking about his travel plans, as well as uh, greetings. So, chapter. 16 verse 19, the churches of Asia greet you. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla greet you, which mm-hmm. are two very prominent individuals. Yeah. Verse 21, which we'll talk about later when we get to Thessalonians. This greeting is in my own hand. Paul mm-hmm. always wrote the end of his letters in his own hand, which is a good indication. Then he ha- he's had a scribe, mm-hmm. someone else writing the rest of the letter. Uh, and so, which actually real quick, because that's something that in my classes on how to interpret the Bible, we'll talk about letter writing mm-hmm. and in, how they were done was there a scribe they did, did they do it themselves and this is something every time i teach us there's someone who says well wait a minute end of first corinthians he says i write this in my own hand that means he wrote the whole letter himself yeah and th- is, that's one of those things where scholars there's a couple different options on what this means right yeah it could mean he wrote the whole thing himself but it probably doesn't mean that he probably had a scribe and he, what he's probably doing is maybe writing that concluding part with his own hand kind of like a you know, how, uh, how a secretary might type up the thing and then you, you sign it or so, the, the CEO signs it or something. There, there's, that's a couple different options on what this means, right? Yeah. I don't think there's any options at all. I, I'd have to look at the commentaries more detail to see if there really is a significant debate, but in the book of Romans, 
the writer of the letter himself says, I, yeah. Tertius, who writes Exa this letter, greet you in the Lord. Exactly, yeah. So we know he used a scribe for mm -hmm. the Book of Romans. So mm -hmm. if the argument in Corinthians is he wrote the whole letter of Corinthians because he says so, it's like, well, he didn't write the whole Book of Romans. The, exactly. The guy who wrote it says hello. But I think it's the greeting. I write this greeting with my own hands. And mm -hmm. we also know this. Paul says in Thessalonians, I'm writing this in my own hands. This is the way I write. And I always close the letters with, with my own writing. I mean, mm. it's really emphatic where Paul's like, I end my letters in my own handwriting, mm -hmm. which indicates the rest of the letter is not in my own handwriting. Yeah. That's how you know this is a letter from Paul because my handwriting and my signature is on the end. Because of course, the Thessalonians may have gotten like a forged letter in Second Thessalonians. Yeah. Uh, in particular, saying, hey, you guys got a letter from Paul. Is that, that wasn't me. I always write the greeting in my own hand. So I think that's what's going on. Well, and some of the point is don't get bogged down in trying to parse out those sorts of details right. because that's you're missing the whole point of the text if that becomes your investigative journey. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like, that's not yeah. the point. It's well, asking the wrong question if you're trying to get too literalistic about it. Exactly. There's a, there's a little bit of a, I understand there's a concern that mm -hmm. we have that I, this is the tradition I grew up in too. And that is that, all scriptures inspired by God and God used apostles to write the inspired scripture. So then we think, well, if Tertius writes this, he must've been and Tertius is the scribe in verse mm -hmm. in the book of Romans. Yeah. If Tertius writes this, he had to have been inspired by God. So, Oh, he must've just dictated. Paul dictated to him and he wrote only what, what Paul said, but, he adds his own greeting. Mm -hmm. So if we say only what Paul says is inspired, then just that verse is not inspired. Well, that's kind of silly. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, you know what? The Holy Spirit can work through the scriptures, whether it's a scribe writing. And the reality is this, this people might not be comfortable with this, but scribes actually had a measure of freedom in mm -hmm. how they worded things. Mm -hmm. And so these are Paul's words, but yeah. in the hand of a scribe. And he had some measure of flexibility in how uh, he worded things. Obviously, well, it, the, it, the books are masterfully written anyway. So, Absolutely. And the point I make in my classes in a church that has a very high view of scripture yeah. is to say, remember, it's the words that are inspired. It's not the people. So it's not that Paul was inspired. It's no, Paul's words are inspired. Yeah. Whatever is in the book, that's the thing that was inspired. And so whether he did it himself or he was working through someone else, that it's the words yeah, it's, that are, that are the important. End, it's the end product. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just to reiterate, I have an incredibly high view of scripture. I believe mm -hmm. the scripture itself, we discussed this before, the scripture itself is what's transformative. A few weeks ago, we were talking about mm -hmm. why are we preaching sermons? It's the, it's the scripture that's transformative. I think sermons are important. Podcasts like this are important. It helps us understand the scriptures better. And then I can apply it to my life better. But the best thing that you can do is go read and study the scriptures and meditate on them, mm -hmm. meditate on them, just memorize them and take a small passage each, each day. Don't, if you haven't read the whole Bible, then read the whole Bible through if you're studying first Corinthians, read the whole first Corinthians through, but then go back mm -hmm. and read it and read it and read it and read it and spend days and days and days on each, on each section. So, all right, hey, let's transition. Yep. What I want to do is this Vinny in a little bit of time that we have left is to say, all right, what in our study of first Corinthians has stood out to you, whether it's something that you've known in the past that we highlighted or something that, you know, a new idea, new thought that came to you, what, what stands out to you in your understanding of first Corinthians? I think it just in general over the, I was thinking about this this morning, just in my own journey and how I'm processing theology and the questions I ask and, um, 
you know, all of that, both of us have talked before about how like apologetics have been kind of like a love for us in terms of drawing right. us to asking questions and whatnot. And apologetics is great. I love apologetics, but oftentimes it's about trying to wrap things up as clear and yes. neatly as possible. Correct. And it's about the argument and winning the argument. And right. you justify things like, well, I'm loving people by giving them the truth. And yeah. it doesn't matter if I'm a jerk or, you know, any, any of those sorts of things. So yeah. that that's the kind of the framing for what I'm going to say here, but what does it mean to hold on to, you know, what truth is, you know, like determining truth, but then also saying, okay, can we assume that love plays as an important part in that? Or a more uh, important part. Or a more important part. Yeah. 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 If, if it's not rooted in that, in true love, not just like, yes, I'm going to give you the truth because I love you. And it's like, no, yeah. you don't love the person, you know? Right. And, and so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what does that look like? So, even the time we spent in the love chapters, yeah, uh, and especially as those, you know, as the spiritual gifts are are rooted in that, wherever you come out, come out on the side of how we view women. Well, think about mm-hmm. it, like chapters 11, 14, That's that's right in the same side of the equation as all the the love stuff, right? And so, you you got to look at all that together, and it's like, what are we actually doing in terms of pursuing love? Not in an, in a postmodern, relativistic, ushy gushy way. Like I love everyone just by letting everyone believe what they want to believe because that's not loving it. Like yeah. my son's five. I don't love him by allowing him to choose whatever yeah. he wants to eat every day. Right. This is going to be ice cream and you know pizza or whatever. Yeah, my wife like, doesn't even let me choose everything I want to eat. Every exactly. Because yeah. it would be ice cream and pizza, <laughs> yeah. or cookies and pizza. Yeah, yeah. Or you, cookies you and, my, and ice cream and pizza. You and my five year old literally have the same. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. 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 Matthias is a good kid. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, but the thing is, what what does it actually mean to pursue love in that kind of way? Yeah. Yeah. I'm still wrestling with that to say how do you how do you hold those sorts of things in balance? Where because because mm. we justify that, and especially I think in the evangelical world where we're so searching so much for the truth questions. What is the right. correct answer? Right. And well, how does that work with love? And I was even thinking about that today. Like we sing so much about doctrine in our praise, which is good, but like how can we never sing about loving one another outside right. of like VBS songs? Right. Right. You know, as adults, we don't sing about that, which is, that's literally what Jesus said is like, this is the most important commandment, like loving exactly. God, loving one yeah. another. When was the last time you sang it as an adult, a, a worship song about that? Right. But well, we pr- sing, I love you, Lord. Good. Right. Right. Yep. I love Great. you. Yeah. Lord. Yep. Right. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's something I've been struggling with for a number of years now, as I realize more and more that, this is what the biblical message is all about. And I'm writing a commentary called Revelation on Love Story. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm still not very good at this. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So, so for that, I would say that it's like taking seriously the concept of loving mm-hmm. and not merely doing acts of charity. Right. Which is good. Like, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. You, you fed a guy. Sure. Yeah. And that, that's good. But am I actually loving him or am I doing this out of obligation? Yeah. Which sometimes we need to do that. Let's be honest. You don't sure. always feel like going to the gym and it's one of those things where you do it and it's like, okay, I'm glad I went, but you don't, not everyone does those things because they love it. You do things yeah. out of, and then you do it enough out of, out of duty and it becomes, you know, you grow an affection towards it, but I just don't know what to do with it. Honestly yet. Yeah. Not yeah, intellectually, when you figure but it out, let me know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, which is good because I think it's, it's nice to hopefully people listening go, Hey, if they haven't figured it out yeah. yet, I'm, it's okay for me to be in process too. Exactly. Yeah.
Yeah. So what what about you? What 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 are some things or well, I think I would up? note two things. One is general, and then one specific in terms of the question itself. First off is as you go through First Corinthians, and then as we go through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and the rest, we realize the church is really messed up. Mm-hmm. And our churches today are really messed up, but actually that's nothing new. No. You know, a man has his father's wife and you guys are proud. Mm-hmm. The poor are being abused at communion. They're getting drunk at communion. They're telling women, hey, you guys got to wear head coverings. And it's like, these guys are really, really messed up. And ultimately, they're so spiritualistic that they're denying the resurrection. And so when we look at the letters of the, of the New Testament, it just reminds us that we're dealing with messed up people. And some of them get it. Sometimes we get it. And the spirit prompts us to say, you know what? We need to be people of of love that sacrifice our lives and follow and model our lives after Jesus. And Mm -hmm. some are doing a great job of that. And then a lot are not even thinking of that. And then others are on various levels of that. And it's just reminded, you know what? Yeah, my church is messed up too, but maybe this is kind of what is to be expected in some some sense. Mm -hmm. We don't accept it. Uh, as like, oh, that's just the way it is. But at the same time, we realize the fact that this is the way it is and we need to work like that. And I think that's why it's important to have systems in place. We've talked about this before and we will again in the future, the systems in place for protecting people and holding people accountable and yes. things of that nature. So, mm-hmm. But in terms of the question itself, I think the resurrection chapter really stands out for me, how central this mm-hmm. is to the mm-hmm. story of the New Testament and its importance in this letter. And we've talked about the fact that they didn't ask Paul about the resurrection, that Paul thought, you know what, I need to address this because your own actions are contradicting what we confess to believe in. I told you, first importance, and this is what we all believed in. Jesus Christ died and was buried and rose again. And yet some of you are saying that there is no resurrection. How, how can you do that? And then we look at the church today, and I don't know about you, your church or whatever, but I don't think we preach resurrection enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we... Even some non-liturgical churches will spend four weeks on Advent, right? It's like Christmas, you have to spend four weeks in the yep. same chapters. Mm-hmm. And there's only two in Matthew and, and, and two more in Luke, whatever, right? And I get it. If you're liturgical, that's great. We do that every year. And if you're truly liturgical, there's a balance of talk on the resurrection, whatever, because yeah. the resurrection lasts past Easter. But most semi-liturgical churches don't do that. We get Easter Sunday. And the problem with Easter Sunday in the sense of focusing on the resurrection is most pastors are preaching to the new people who are trying mm-hmm. to visit that we're trying mm-hmm. to get you to come in and stay. We're not preaching to the people who are here every single week about resurrection. So we're getting kind of this watered down message because we have to, because there's all these new visitors there. They don't know all these things. We can't speak to the more mature believers. We have to speak to where, where the mass of people are at. And I think that's disappointing there. Um, I was asked a couple of years ago to write a chapter for a book that should be coming out pretty soon on hope in the, in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. And my, I, I, this is a, a bad confession. My first reaction was, hope's not in the book of Revelation. <laughs> the, the word hope never occurs. It's, it's mm-hmm. just not there. And so before I'm like, well, I'd love to, but there's, it's not in the book of Revelation. I thought, oh, wait. That's what the whole book's about, right? I mean, yeah. the whole book is about this hope. We can endure the wrath of the beast and the wrath of the dragon and the wrath of the false prophet and persecution and suffering and death because, well, I was dead, Jesus says, and I'm alive forevermore and I've got the keys of death in Hades. I think the resurrection of Jesus is that blessed hope. And we discussed that, you know, we can't, we have to be careful about 
someone who's in the middle of grief and saying, oh, just have hope. It's all going to get better. Yeah. But at the same time, there is a, a, a place for that message there too. So I think mm -hmm. that's so significant for me. So that's good. That's good. It's interesting because talking about hope and whatnot, how does first Corinthians 16 end? If anyone has no love for the oh, Lord, man. let him be accursed. Our Lord come. Yeah, Maranatha. My Maranatha. translation says Maranatha. Does your, yours the, doesn't? No, no. In, in in yeah, the ESV just says come. But that I mean that's the word in both Greek and Hebrew, right? So that's one of those it's words. It's Aramaic. Is it Aramaic? Okay. Yeah, Maranatha is Aramaic. Yeah. Okay. Which and is interesting because it tells you that phrase has been around since the Jerusalem church the exactly. first couple of years. That's that's an ancient phrase. It would not have arisen in the Greek speaking churches of Corinth or, or the Hellenistic world. Yeah. Yeah. Maranatha, yeah. come, O Lord. Yeah. yeah. Which is. Uh, it's one of those that should be our prayer every day. Come, exactly. Oh Lord. You know, exactly. The book of Revelations, like, how long, oh Lord? Yes. Anyone that was, has been to my congregation for a while know I'll, I'll preach that a lot because it's in the yeah. book of Psalms. It's, yes. it's throughout the scriptures. How the long, prophets, oh Lord? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. We get it. But, you know, it would be really nice if you would take care of things like right now. So, yeah, well, and that's the idea point. of hope, right? That you're yeah, saying. Exactly. Like you're hoping for this, for, for the Lord right. to come. Yeah, exactly. In fact, in uh, Titus two, it's it's called the blessed hope. Yes, the the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus yep. Christ. So yes, yeah. So, so that's good. So where okay. would be a good place? Normally, we would finish First Corinthians and we would head into Second Corinthians because obviously that's the next letter in the book. It's chronological. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, what do we want to do now? All right, well, we normally bring in a scholar or a mm -hmm. biblical practitioner to come in and talk about first Corinthians, whatever. And we're working on that. And the scholar that we have kind of lined up, hopefully, I think it'd be better to discuss first and second Corinthians with that scholar. So that's, okay. we're going to postpone that a little bit. But what I actually wanted to do also was to say, let's have some interviews with some practitioners especially in light of first Corinthians 12, I, we didn't discuss this, but I think first Corinthians 12 is just really, really crucial. And that is mm -hmm. we're all members of one body and the body functions well, only when every member is using their gifts mm -hmm. and we're all made in God's image. And I think throughout our church, we have people, you know, I, I know people, for example, that did a lot of singles ministries. And we talked about this in our first Corinthians seven uh, discussion where singles feel like they're left out. You know, we have Valentine's, you know, events at the church for married yeah. couples or, and Mother's Day and Father's Day yeah. are just not the best days of, no. of the year for some some Christians who never became a father or, or, the, or a mother or they lost their kids or yeah. things like that. But there's also people with disabilities struggle in our churches, finding a, finding a place and feeling like they belong and they fit in. People that are single, people that are older, um, people that are uh, genders, uh, of course. So we're going to have some interviews. Uh, so a couple at least, and hopefully we'll get more. But at this point in time, we'll have at least a couple. One with, I think it was Time Magazine's Top 100 uh, Men. Uh, yeah, 2021. Yeah, mm -hmm. For 2021. And uh, talking about Asian Americans and Asian American Christians mm -hmm. and uh, Asian American hate crimes, which of course rose drastically during the COVID years and how that relates to the church. And then we've got, uh, that's Russell Jung. Uh, we're mm -hmm. going to interview him. And then we're going to have uh, Carolyn Custis James, who's just done some really, really good work on male and female, which she calls the blessed alliance, that there's mm. this alliance between male and female that we're all blessed when that works well. Mm. And her story was she struggled with the idea that, well, as a Christian and as a woman, my job is to have kids and to get married. And then she graduates from college and her, her dad was like a pastor. Her brothers were all pastors. 
she graduated from college and then she went 10 years before she got married. And she's like, mm-hmm. during those 10 years, like I, I'm not fulfilling what God's called women to be. Mm-hmm. And that took her to the scriptures. And so she starts uh, investigating the scriptures. So it's just a wonderful conversation that we're going to have with her talking about women and men uh, in the church and in the congregations that are struggling to find their role and find their place and what's masculinity look like and things like that. So we're going to have some practical questions and then we're going to just, you know, here's the deal. I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. Jesus is coming back before we finish the rest of the new Testament. And so we're going to skip to revelation to cover it so that you're ready. Be prepared. Yeah. yeah so you're prepared. That, that, that's really what's going to happen. So we'll go to wait, revelation. Wait, are we, are we going to sell home uh, prepared kits, like survival kits? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So here's a bucket and you can add water and yeah, it will turn into so, some kind well, of gruel. If, if you do send in money, then Vinny and I will pray over the prayer hanky prayer, and send that yeah, to Yeah, the you. prayer hanky. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to cut to the book of Revelation for a, a number of reasons. One, of course, is I'm finishing up a commentary in the book of Revelation and that's just where a lot of my time and attention is going. And it'll be just a lot easier for me to kind of continue that conversation. We've done some podcasts on it already. Um, I'm going to be traveling to India as, as you and I are talking right now, mm-hmm. this episode's going to air in a few weeks, as you and I are talking right now, I'm going to be traveling in two and a half weeks to India for uh, about 10 days of travel, nine, 10 days of travel, but we'll be on the ground doing a pastor's conference in Punjab, Northern India for two days then in Delhi for two days, and then a, a full day in Hyderabad or south of Hyderabad, as well as church and, and festivities and things of that nature the following day. So we got a lot of travel and it's going to be an exhaustive travel schedule. So we're going to ask for your prayers and support uh, for us. But we've got hundreds and hundreds of pastors that are coming together. Pastor Danny Hall and I are going uh, just to pour into these guys and, and women and equipping them. And you've got things going on in life situations as well yeah. that we're running against a little bit of a clock here. And so what we're going to do is we're to, you and I did some episodes about a year and a half ago now, mm-hmm. introducing the book of Revelation, and we're going to replay those episodes. Mm-hmm. So in an introduction to the book of Revelation, how to understand apocalyptic literature, how to understand prophetic literature in relation to Revelation, and how to understand letters, because mm-hmm. the book is the letter itself. And then you and I will come back in mid to late March, and we'll do some episodes beginning with the book of Revelation. So that's our plan. If someone's listening to this in real time, what's a great way that they could prepare outside of the resources we're going to give with those prep uh, podcasts? If they wanted to start reading through Revelation, you know, on their own, what are some ways they could do that in terms of, you know, it's 22 chapters. So reading it in one sitting might be difficult. So how could they read it? What are some things to look for? Uh, What are some ways they could just prep to get familiar with the story? Well, I don't know if you're intending this. But I do think my book actually would be a helpful guide. Follow so, the Lamb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Follow, I, the idea of Follow the Lamb is it, the subtitle is a guide to reading, understanding, and applying the book of Revelation. And what I do in each chapter is I, I say, okay, here's one thing that you need to know. It's about Jesus. And then at the end of the chapter, like, okay, now go read the book of Revelation and look for this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Then you come back to chapter two. Okay, now it's about overcome or it's about this or about this and then go read the book of revelation now and look for the word overcome and see how okay. it's used that'll kind of help guide you through now i also have been doing a bible study for a while now on zoom on wednesday nights is real time that's being posted on facebook live but it's also being posted on my youtube page mm-hmm. so if you want to read chapter one and then listen to the the, the youtube I, I, by the way i have I haven't actually posted Revelation chapters one and two and three on the YouTube page, but from four following, uh, and we're through chapter 12 as of now, 
that'd be another way to keep up with it. The other thing to do would be read the book. Mm-hmm. And I would say read it in a really good translation. And none of the English translations fully meet the qualifications. But John's going to use language in the book of Revelation to clue you in that this passage should be read in light of that passage because he's going to repeat words or phrases. And so as much as you can have a translation that, you know, translations have a a spectrum from faithful to the original text to Mm -hmm. faithful to the English text, right? To to the reader's text. And so like the message Bible is faithful to the English text and it's an excellent translation. And then you have this wooden literal translations, which there's no such thing as a wooden literal translation, but they do more, more so than others. Like the new American standard or the, uh, Did you mean the message like or the new living translation? Well, the message and the new living translation, I, I would put in that, that bucket of saying, I put the the message in the, in the bucket of faithful to the English, trying to help okay. the reader understand what it means in modern day English. Okay. Okay. The new living translation would be more faithful to the text itself. Got it. Got it. And English also, whereas the message is like, I'm really concerned with what it means in English to convey it, but it does a great job of being faithful to the text, even though it changes some of the language there so okay. yeah but and, and just kind of go through and mark out words that you keep seeing reappearing and, and again the best thing you can do for any study of any part of the bible is to read it over and over and over and over again meditate upon it day and night so revelation 1 through 22 well guess what one chapter a day every day mm-hmm. and every month one you're back to chapter one the first 22 days mm-hmm. and day 16 you're on revelation chapter 16 and read it multiple times a day, even if you can. That's just some of the best thing that you can do. Nice. So that's gonna be fun. I'm excited about that. And yeah, we'll, cool. we'll jump out of order and uh yeah. It'll be it'll be good though. Well, they they weren't written in the order that they're in, anyways. What? Yeah, they're not. So just so you know, the books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels are written are in the order which they thought they were written. Mm-hmm. That's not correct order because we think Mark is first. Yeah. Acts, of course, is necessarily comes next because it's the historical bridge between the gospels and, and the letters. Mm-hmm. Then the letters are arranged by Paul's letters and not Paul's letters. So Romans through Philemon are Paul's letters with Hebrews being added to Paul's letters, kind of. Mm-hmm. And Paul's letters are arranged by size. Yeah. First off, letters to churches by size, mm-hmm. Romans, and then 1 Corinthians. And of course, second is always going to be attached to first. Mm-hmm. So Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, right. and then letters to individuals, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, by size. And of course, Hebrews would be after Romans and before Corinthians by size. But we're not sure who wrote it, so we'll attach it to Paul. And then you have the letters of James, Peter, John, and Jude, and those are by size. Mm-hmm. And even 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John are by size. We don't know which one's first, which one's second, which one's mm-hmm. third. We just put them there by size. So, And size by the Greek word count, not size by the number of verses in English, because Second John has less verse numbers than Third John, but yep. Greek le- Greek words it has more more words. So, anyway, yeah. tri- trivial yeah. note there. Hey, cool, awesome. That was fun. We we did Second Corinthians, First Corinthians. It's just like in a couple of weeks. I mean, it was just like a flash. Well, a couple of weeks if you listen to all the episodes nonstop. Yeah, one day at a time, one a day. Yeah, <laughs> which you should be doing. Yes, reading their Bible the and then listening God. to us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. So. Hey, thanks everyone. Awesome. Yes, it's, see everyone soon. Uh, have no, a safe you trip. Won't see them ever, Vinny. We just every we have webcams week. everywhere. Oh, everywhere. you're you're one of those people. You're a creeper. <laughs> they make they make gifts about me and everything. Have a safe trip on your uh, to India, and have yeah. a good time with the family, taking care of all the things you guys are taking care of. Yeah, we are moving, and so that's yeah. uh, 
Yeah, that's that's yep. not stressful at all. No, selling no, no. your house American and American moves are pretty easy to do. Easy yeah. peasy. Easy peasy. Because you're so wealthy, you just hire people to do it for you. I'm like, I don't you're even need to sell my house first. I'm like, I'll just buy another one. Yeah, I'll sell this yeah. one. We can get to yeah, it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you live in California. You made like, and we live in California. There's no paperwork on anything either. No, so no red tape. So. All right, cool. Yeah. All right, everyone. We'll catch you guys soon. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please subscribe to and like our podcast. You can follow Rob's blog at determinedtruth.com or purchase his books on amazon.com. See you next time.